them. Or, or multiple moments. We can hate on them for multiple moments. You want to be loud? Scott Frost? Huh? Want to puff out your chest? Want to talk like a big boy? Win the game first. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. Let's start the show with a little positivity. This week is cruising by. This week is flying by. Well done, everyone. I don't know what we're doing. I don't know how we're doing it. But this week is cruising by. I can't believe it's already Wednesday. It turns out that the week goes by much more quickly when there's not an election going on. Isn't that interesting? Who would have thought last week felt like it was 30 days long? This week is flying by. Funny how uh, that works. And it doesn't hurt that we have the Masters to look forward to, which is insane given that it's November 11th today. And we're talking about the Masters this weekend, which I can't wait. I don't even I don't even like golf. I can't tell you the last time I played golf with actual golf clubs. I can tell you when I've gone frisbee golfing because I'm a, a soft millennial like that. But I, I, I can't tell you the last time I physically went golfing and spent years. And I can't wait for the Masters. Sit down, relax all afternoon, watch golf in the peace and quiet. Maybe take a nap, right? We have that to look forward to. The week is cruising by. Everything, everything is coming together, folks. This is this is great stuff. My name, Grant Bills. The Wisco Sports Show just getting started, and I'm so glad that you have tuned in. We have a lot of fun stuff to talk about today. The NFL announced some new rules, new possible rules today. Going to talk about that. Going to talk about the Packers and why their margin for error, despite getting off to a good start and having a great lead over the NFC North, their margin for error right now is razor thin. And I want to point out a couple of seasons over the last decade as a warning that the Packers can't slip up the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about that. Talk Badgers basketball. It is slow news Wednesday as well. And we're going to talk to Dave Carney, who hosts the morning show here on WKTY and lacrosse. Always just a, a shining ray of positivity uh, and and energy, which sometimes this show needs, right? Sometimes I get all frustrated. I just start whining. We need Dave. We need some positivity today. So we'll speak with him Coming up at 4.30. If you would like to join the show, your calls are always welcome. I'll open up the phone lines here in about 10 or 15 minutes. 608-796-2558. Text me whenever you would like at that same number. And if you're on Twitter, Twitter is your thing. You can find me at Wisco Grant as well. Follow me. Tweet at me. If you really hate what I have to say, you can block me. It's fine. It's your Twitter account. Do with it what you want. I'm not going to tell you how to, how to run your Twitter, but you can find me uh, at Wisco Grant. We're going to get into the Packers here in... 10 or 12 minutes, but first, the news of the day, the big event of the day. It's a relatively uneventful day, so sorry, we don't have a ton to work with. Yesterday, the NFL held a big conference call, big meeting. Everybody got together, and I was bummed I didn't get an invite. I don't think Ebo or anybody at The Zone got an invite. I know nobody here in Lacrosse got an invite, so that was a little disappointing. Would have loved to have been invited, but maybe next year. Uh, they decided two big things. They came to two big decisions, two conclusions, one new rule and one possible new rule. Well, I want to talk about both of these new rules. One, I want to spend a little bit more time on than the other, but they're both interesting. And then, of course, we can talk about how that impacts the Packers, uh, how these, these rules impact the Packers moving forward, because after all, this is the Wisco Sports Show, um, even if it's been, what, six days since the Packers have played now? Right, we've just been kind of waiting, sitting idle. The NFL had a meeting yesterday, big conference call. Of course, it was all virtually, and they decided two things. Let's talk about decision number one. And you might have heard about this. The NFL passed a measure to encourage teams to consider and hire minority coaches and executives, of which there are very few in the league right now. All right, we'll talk about that in a little bit. 
Now, this idea has been kicked around before uh, of possibly awarding teams with a draft pick if they hire a minority head coach or an executive. Now, there's naturally problems with that, right? If you have three candidates and they're all about the same, but one is black, well, maybe NFL teams might be unnaturally coerced to hiring the black coach. And then there's doubt about the credentials of the black coach. They only hired you for the draft compensation. They only, okay, so we... The NFL didn't want to get into the weeds on that, understandably so. It's a good idea. It's a smart idea, but I don't really know if it works in theory. Now, the NFL, of course, already has the Rooney rule. We can debate on the efficacy of, of the Rooney rule. I would I would prefer to talk about something else. It's a start, right? I think it's I think the rule is necessary. I don't know how impactful it is, but I think it's it's an important rule, right, where teams have to interview at least one minority head coach. I think baseball has the same thing. I don't know about the NBA. Um, but I know baseball does. I guess it's called the Selig rule, right? Which is odd because Bud, Bud Selig was very white. So I, I learned about that today because the White Sox who hired Tony LaRussa had to interview one other candidate who was black. And that satisfied what I learned today is called the Selig rule, which is ironic in a way. The NFL is the Rooney rule, but they've been looking to add possibly some more incentive to hire and to develop minority coaches and executives, of which there are very few currently in the NFL. Now, this rule is going to award a draft pick to the team who develops a minority head coach or executive. Doesn't hire, but develops. They will be rewarded with a draft pick. The the specifics are a little bit shady. We don't have a a, a concrete announcement yet. We just have reports. Kevin Seifert of ESPN did a pretty good job on this, and, and that's where I took most of my information. That's where I read about this. But it seems about third round, third, fourth round, same level as a compensatory pick would be if you were to lose a player in free agency. The team who develops the minority head coach or executive will be rewarded with the draft pick. Let's talk about an example. The Packers defensive backs coach, Jerry Gray, is African-American. If the Jets, for example, were to hire him to be their head coach, Green Bay would get a draft pick, which seems odd and seems backwards, but I guess it makes sense because Green Bay is then rewarded for putting time and energy and resources into all of their assistants, giving them the best chance to succeed, showcasing them and giving them opportunities to go on and get bigger, better jobs elsewhere. So if Jerry Gray were to become a head coach in the NFL under this new rule, the Packers would get compensated uh, in the draft with uh, what I've read, a third or a fourth round pick somewhere in there in the compensatory zone. This encourages, like I said, the Packers to put energy and effort into developing their coaches, right? And this rule, the way I see it, won't tempt teams to hire candidates for picks, right? If a team is rebuilding and they want all the draft picks possible, let's say Miami, the Dolphins, or or the Browns, or another rebuilding team, the Jaguars. They know they're rebuilding. They know they're not ready to to win yet. So they say, well, screw it. Let's just hire a coach that'll get us draft picks. And then when we're ready to compete in two or three years, then we'll hire the coach we actually want. The NFL didn't want that situation, so they instead developed this rule. Now, something like this has been in the works for a while, and I don't think this is a perfect system, but I think it's a good start. Um, and, and obviously, I am white. I'm privileged in the way that I view these things. I saw Rob Parker on Fox Sports Radio today saying that this is insulting to minority head coaches and candidates. I Look, okay, I would take Rob Parker seriously if Rob Parker didn't say absurd things every day. It's hard to weed out the hot takes and the incendiary takes from the actual genuine opinions. So I don't know. We'll see how this is, you know, taken and we'll see how this is interpreted and, and talked about and written about in the coming days. But I, I, I think it makes sense, right? This incentivizes teams to develop all of their coaches and their assistants and give them the best chance to succeed. And it helps the team in a sense, because if the Packers defense becomes great, 
let's say the Packers defense all of a sudden becomes the best in the league and everybody wants to pluck an assistant from the Packers staff. Well, if the Packers lose Jerry Gray, whether Jerry Gray is white or black, minority or, or majority, they should get compensated for that somehow, right? That players leave in free agency and teams get compensated with compensatory picks. Why not do something similar with head coaches? I think it makes sense. Um, and, and this fits the goal. There's only four minority head coaches right now, and there's only two minority executives. So I think a rule like this is a step in the right direction. We'll see how it's it's taken uh, by members of, of the football community. And I reserve the right to change my opinion on this. But I think it's a good thing. That was measure number one that the NFL passed. Now, number two, much more applicable today and in the coming weeks and months for the Packers, the NFL put into place a contingency plan in the event that games are canceled due to COVID. And this is something we talked about yesterday and the day before. I think it's something that we all expected. Roger Goodell, in this conference call yesterday, emphasized that the NFL is committed, committed, direct quotation, to playing 16 games in 17 weeks. They don't want to expand the season, and they don't want to miss games. That is their goal. This rule isn't changing that goal. It's not changing the time frame or the amount of games. It's a contingency plan. It's a contingency plan. And I think the NFL desperately needs a contingency plan, especially right now. Because in the last two weeks, right, even let's just do the last week from November 1st to November 7th, there were a total of 56 positive tests, 15 players and 41 staff members. That's twice the total of any other week-long time period going back to the beginning of the season. Now, the biggest window was September 27th to the 3rd, but that was all Titans positive tests. It became much more widespread in the last week, and that's probably what got the NFL thinking, we need to do something. We need to get a contingency plan. We need a backup plan in case this thing goes south because we don't want to be caught flat-footed. In the event that this happens, the playoffs go to 16 teams. They go by winning percentage, eight in the NFC, eight in the NFC, or AFC-NFC. You know what I mean. Now, Roger Goodell and the reports yesterday weren't exactly clear on the details. They didn't say, well, if this many games are canceled, if this matchup isn't played, if this team misses a game, there weren't specifics, which I think is really smart. And I give Roger Goodell and the NFL a lot of credit for this, mostly because they can do what they want. They have the power to do what they want. They've earned that cachet, making money and growing this league over the last 10 years. And Roger Goodell has exercised that power. The because I said so power. He has the power to do that as a commissioner. It works in his sport. It doesn't really work for Adam Silver. Nobody likes Rob Manfred. So I think if he tried to pull that, it would be met with major blowback like it was this last season when they were trying to get the season going. But Roger Goodell can kind of do what he wants. And, and this is on a need-to-know basis, right? They're, they're going to fly by the seat of their pants with this rule. And they left this very ambiguous, which I think is smart. I'm talking about the possibility of expanding the postseason eight in each conference and, and possibly extending the season, I don't know, to 17, 18 or I guess 18 weeks, possibly 19 if you add two. This is smart for two reasons. You got to have a plan in place. You have to. Here's your uh, dad expression of the day. Failure to prepare, prepare to fail. Right? If the NFL fails to prepare for the event of canceled games, then they're going to fail. Right? If they don't prepare, then prepare to fail. It's going to go south. So even if everything goes flawlessly the next couple of weeks and they play 16 games in 17 weeks, beautiful. And I know they want to play 16 games in 17 weeks. I believe Roger Goodell because they played that Packers 49ers game last week. Right? If they weren't hard set on fitting these games in in the time window they established before the season, if they weren't in on that, we would have known because they would have moved that Thursday night game. Absolutely. Now, I know they're committed, but they need a backup plan. And now they have one. 
And Roger Goodell wisely left this open to interpretation, which is brilliant because this is a last resort and they don't want to kick this into effect unless they desperately need to. And this might be on a team by team, game by game basis. In fact, it's going to be. Roger Goodell's not saying it. He's not saying it, but but he is saying it. There's no specific details on how many missed games would kick this into effect. There's no specifics on which missed games would kick this into effect. Because there's no specifics, you know all you need to know. This is a game-by-game, team-by-team basis. And this is a wait-and-see basis. For example, in the AFC South, if the Jacksonville Jaguars and Houston Texans miss a game, if they got to cancel a Jags-Texans game, they're not expanding the postseason. They're not going to waste their time adding another week or expanding the postseason if Jacksonville and Houston miss a game, right? Who cares? Sure, those fans do, but make it up or or don't, right? Like you earn respect by winning games. And if the the Jags or the Texans want to be respected and they want their games to matter, at least in the sense of the time frame of the season and the expansion of the postseason— then win games and be worth a damn. And right now, those two teams aren't worth a damn. That division as a whole really ain't worth a damn. Colts, Texans, Jags. Who's the other team? The Titans. Now, the Titans are worth a damn. If the Titans have to miss another game, which the NFL at the time seemed dead set on not. I know the Titans broke protocol and they dragged that out. The NFL bent over backwards for them, probably because they're a competitive team, right? And Nashville's an interesting market. And Derrick Henry is a superstar. And Mike Vrabel is an interesting story as a head coach. And so is Ryan Tannehill as a quarterback. All right, we'll make things work for the Titans. The rest of that division, Jacksonville, Houston, Indianapolis, who's fine. They're middling, but they're not all that interesting. Okay, if if those teams get a game canceled, it doesn't really matter. We're not going to shuffle things around. However, if the Saints and the Buccaneers were to miss a game, well, then it would become a big deal. And I know those two teams have already played, right? But but pick another matchup. Arizona-Seattle. Seattle and the Rams, for example, they're playing in the coming weeks. What if those two teams miss a game? That would be a big deal. That could potentially shape the division, shape the conference, shape the seating. Absolutely. So the NFL at that moment might step in and, yeah, we're going to change things around. We're going to expand the postseason. If the Steelers and the Ravens miss a game, possibly the NFL steps in and does something. But if the Lions and the Vikings miss a game, mm, probably not. Probably not. Now, if this rule was put into place, this is how the playoffs look today. In the AFC, Steelers, Chiefs, Bills, Titans, Ravens, Raiders, Dolphins, Browns. Eight in that conference. And eight in the NFC, New Orleans, Seattle, Green Bay, Philly, Tampa, Arizona, Los Angeles, the Rams, and the Bears. I'm so torn on this because I don't want to watch the Bears in the postseason, but also I would probably watch the Bears in the postseason, right? More football is better. That being said, I don't think the Browns deserve to get into the postseason. I don't think the Bears deserve to get in. But as Clint Eastwood once said, deserves got nothing to do with it. And if they end up in the postseason, well, damn it, I'm probably going to watch. Because I'm a sports fan, and more football is always better than less football, even if it's bad football. It's like pizza. Even cold, bad pizza is still pizza. I'll still eat it. Let's get into the Packers coming up next. I I went back and I looked at the last couple of years, and I came to a conclusion, found some evidence. I had an epiphany. And the next couple of weeks are really, really important for the Packers, despite a lack of premier marquee matchups against great teams. I'll explain why. The Packers cannot afford to slip up. I have lots of evidence. I can't wait to share this with you. More of the Wisco Sports Show coming up after this. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. My name is Grant Bills. I am lucky enough to be your host. Happy Wednesday. Hope your week is coming along nicely. And thank you for tuning in. Happy Veterans Day. 
to any veterans who might be listening or family members, friends. Whether you're listening or not, we appreciate your service, protecting what makes this country great. Appreciate you today on Veterans Day. Dave Carney of the WKTY Morning Show. He hosts the morning show here in Lacrosse. Uh, we're going to talk to him coming up in about 10 minutes. He is energetic, positive. He, he's a shining ray of, of, of light. And I can't wait to bring him on the show because sometimes I get whiny, I get complainy, I get angry. And Dave is such a nice reprieve from everything that I'm, <laughs> everything that makes me suck. So we'll talk to Dave. Coming up at 4.30, if you're listening in Madison or maybe you're listening somewhere way off the uh, the proverbial reservation of La Crosse, Wisconsin, and you're not a listener of WKTY and you don't know Dave, I- I'm excited to introduce Dave to you coming up in about 10 minutes. The talk and text line, 608-796-2558. You can reach out there with a text or a tweet at Wisco Grant. I want to talk about the Packers. We started the show by talking about some new rules that the NFL put into place, and that's the break news of the day, right? We got to cover that. But this is the Wisco Sports Show. Let's stop messing around. Let's talk about the Packers. I've said many times on this show, I don't pick games or spreads, at least not very often. Although this week, I'm 1-0 against the spread because Brett and I decided to bet the Jets on Monday. Well, he decided, and I I just had enough guts to to agree with him. So this week, I'm 1-0. I I shouldn't say I don't pick spreads. I I don't love picking games, mostly because I don't think you care who I'm picking. But I do love looking at past seasons and, and trying to find precedent to predict things. Because you watch enough of these Packers seasons and you start to notice similarities, patterns. You notice things that repeat, right? There's only 16 games every year. Like, you see these things before and you see them after. You see them in 2015, a year that I reference a lot. A year that's, you know, shown some similarities in the last two years. Packers have been great, but they just haven't been able to get over the hump. There's always teams that, that are a step above. And that's been the theme of 2019. And it could be the theme of 2020. It's looking that way, hopefully... That's not the way that it will end. It's fun looking at past years to try to predict things and and and, and um, you know possibly pick games moving forward. I've been preaching something since Sunday. Been talking about this for a few days. Actually, I think I first said this filling in for Dave uh, here in Lacrosse last Friday morning. I've been preaching something for the last five or six days. I think Green Bay will lose one game in their matchups with Jacksonville, Indy, Philly, and Carolina. The rest of their schedule shakes out like this. Jaguars, Colts, Bears, Eagles, Lions, Panthers, Titans, Bears. I think there's a loss in there between the Jags, the Colts, the Eagles, and the Panthers. I think they beat the Bears twice and the Lions because the Lions are... The Lions keep lining up 10 men on defense. Like Matt I'm not sure Matt Patricia can read. That's how bad things are going in Detroit. And Titans, we'll see. That's a coin flip of a game for me. So the way I see it, they go 3-0 in the division... The way I, I think it'll go, not the way I hope it'll go, they'll go 3-1 and one in their remaining games, not against the Titans, and we'll see against Tennessee. It's that group of bad four teams. I, I just can't quit the idea that there's a loss hiding in there. Jags, Colts, Eagles, Panthers. There's a loss hiding in there, and that scares me. If you look at some contending years for Green Bay in the last decade, most recently, 2014 and 2019, I think those are two really good examples. Years where they got a high seed. They had true Super Bowl aspirations. I think they were a better team in 2014 than they were last year. But last year, they did make the NFC Championship game. A little bit more well-rounded, traditional 13-3 and team. I know they made the NFC Championship game in 2016. That was by the hand of Aaron Rodgers alone and nobody else. So 2014, 2019, two years that I've been looking at. And if you look back to 2014, you might remember that that year they lost to Buffalo. 
who at the time was being coached by Doug Marone. They went nine and seven. If I remember correctly, it was snowing that day. It was a Sunday. I think it was a noon game, right? I was very upset. I went ice fishing that evening. I grew up on a lake in Northwest Wisconsin. I was very upset. I was a, I was a young man. I would have been in 2014, a sophomore in high school. I was very, very upset when they lost to Buffalo. That team was very good in 2014, and that was not a loss I saw coming. Knocked me off balance a little bit. I went down by the lake and was emo for a couple hours and, you know, set up some tip-ups. That year in 2014, the Packers ended up as the two seed, and the Seahawks were the one seed. Both teams finished that season 12-4. and They had identical records, but if you'll remember, Seahawks won the week one matchup against the Packers, so they had head-to-head, and then we all know how the NFC Championship game shaped up. The Packers lost in Seattle in ridiculous fashion. If the Packers beat Buffalo, they go 13-3. and The head-to-head doesn't matter. The Packers are the one seed, and then they're playing at home in the NFC Championship game at Lambeau Field, where they were dominant in 2014. Last year, in 2019, the Packers go 13-3. and Great season, not complaining about that record, but they lost it home to the Eagles on Thursday Night Football, the infamous October game, Thursday night. Maybe the last Oktoberfest we'll ever have here in lacrosse at this rate. The Eagles finished that season last year going 9-7. and Now, they won their division and made the postseason, but who cares? The Packers, once again, end up as the two seed, the 49ers at the one with the identical record of 13-3. and They lose in the NFC Championship game again to San Francisco on the road again. Now, if the Packers beat the Eagles, maybe they're playing at Lambeau Field. No, not maybe. They would have been playing at Lambeau Field because they would have went 14-2. and And after that game, when they get beat by the 49ers, what does Aaron Rodgers say? We got to get one of these at home. We got to get an NFC Championship game at home. Well, then stop losing to seven and nine teams. You have no business losing to. How's that sound? And the one year you were the one seed in 2011, you guys dumped your pants. You didn't have a chance to play at home in the NFC Championship game. Now, the Packers lost to the Vikings about a week and a half ago, but precisely a week and a half ago. And that loss is not the end of the world, but it shrinks the margins for error considerably, especially over the next two months. The Packers can absorb and can afford that loss to the Vikings. They can. They're 6-2, and two, and they're on track to be just fine, especially considering the rest of the NFC is severely flawed. The Saints, the Buccaneers, Seattle all have issues much like the Packers. And the Packers can absorb that loss to Dalvin Cook in Minnesota, but that means that they desperately cannot afford to drop another game to Jacksonville, to Indy, to Philly, to Carolina. I don't think they can afford to lose to the Bears. I don't think they will. They won't lose to the Titans, or, or the Lions, excuse me, and we'll see with Tennessee, the Titans. They can lose to Tennessee, not ideally, But they can as long as they take care of business against everybody else. Handle your business. They couldn't quite do it in 2014. They couldn't quite do it last year, and it cost them down the line. The margins for error are too thin. Record-wise, in the NFC, especially after that loss to the Vikings, and talent-wise, if the Packers are going to make it to the Super Bowl, of which I think they have a good chance, they need to be at home. They need to be playing at home. Fans or no fans, I want them at home. Because they're not good enough to go on the road in a neutral environment or on a road environment, depending on if if these teams have fans, and beat Seattle and Tampa, beat Tampa and New Orleans. They need a little bit of an advantage, and that advantage can come in the seating and come in the home field advantage in the postseason with or without fans. And if they want that, which they failed to do last year, they failed to do in 2014, they need to take care of business against these bad teams. But I know these Packers, you do too, you've watched them. Not just this year, but for the last decade. There is a potential loss hiding between Jacksonville, Indy, Philly, and Carolina. And they can't afford it. They can't. They can't. They cannot drop one of those games. 
or else they're going to be going on the road, and they might not end up with a bye at all. There's only one team that gets a bye. The Packers need that bye. Packers need that bye. Margins for error, they're, they're just too thin. Let's take a break. We'll talk to Dave Carney of the WKTY Morning Show coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. Stay tuned. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. My name is Grant Bills. I am lucky enough to be your host. Lucky enough that you're tuning in and hanging out. Appreciate you. And happy Veterans Day to any of our former men and service women, service men and service women. Thank you for standing up and making our country great and protecting everything that it is. Appreciate you and thank you and happy Veterans Day. It is Slow News Wednesday. We're going to get into that coming up at 530. It might be my uh, my favorite segment every week. Today, something a little bit different. We're going to talk about the NFL. It's a writer from The Ringer. I'm really looking forward to talking about this because it's kind of something funky and weird. I think you'll be surprised, but it's it's fun. And I have a take that will absolutely make your, your jaw hit the floor. Slow News Wednesday coming up at about 535. In the meantime, I want to switch gears to Badger basketball. Let's do it. For the first time this year, our maiden voyage of talking about this year's Badger basketball team. Switch on that portion of your sports brain. That one's been turned off for a while. We've talked about NBA, NFL, MLB, college football. My my college basketball brain corner has not been turned on in a while, so I'm trying to fire it up this week. I'm sure you've seen the AP rankings. The Badgers open at number seven. That's their highest number since 2014, 2015. I was actually surprised to learn that the Badgers haven't been in the preseason polls the last three seasons, which is interesting because typically the AP poll, the preseason poll, is just it's just the best shot in the dark, and I don't know why you'd bet against the pedigree and the history of the Badgers just being pretty good every year, right? With the exception of one in the last three years, they missed the tournament. They've been solid. I don't know why you wouldn't bet on the Badgers to at least be a top 25 team at the beginning of the year. I was surprised to know that. First time they've been in the preseason poll in three years, their highest opening number at number seven since 2014-2015. Now, looking at the Badgers' schedule, um, uh, it is it is brief. They play Marquette on December 4th, so naturally the Marquette fans are... Okay, whatever. Yeah, sure, you make this a big deal. Uh, They play Louisville on the 9th, and according to the ESPN.com schedule that I'm looking at, they play EIU. Their logo is blue. Apologize for not knowing. I'm going to guess that it's Eastern Illinois University. I'm going to click on it and see if I'm right. Nailed it! Yes! Yes, Eastern Illinois. Every time is TBD. We have three games, and that is all. Not exactly a lot to go on. Now, I know we know the ranking, and we know the very limited schedule. Now, that's not a whole lot to work with. But, hey, that's all I need. Give me a little bit of information, and I'll give you a take. I'll give you an opinion. And today, it's a very optimistic one. Three games on the schedule, an AP ranking. I'm off and running. That's all I need. That's all the ammo that I need to talk about Badgers basketball today. Here's my take. Ready for this? This is the Badgers year, and it's the Big Ten's year. And I'll give you a couple of reasons why. I'm looking at the AP rankings. So many Big Ten teams in here. Iowa's in here. Under the top 10. Illinois and Wisconsin in the top 10. Michigan State is at 13. Scroll a little bit lower. I think there's one more. Yep, Ohio State, Rutgers, and Michigan. Rounding out 23, 24, 25. Absolutely. There's a bunch of Big Ten teams in the AP Top 25 for the preseason. Which makes sense. The other teams in the Top 25 are traditional college basketball programs. Gonzaga. Nova, Virginia, Kansas, Duke, Kentucky, even Creighton kind of fits this mold. The only outliers that I would say are Baylor, which is hit or miss, Tennessee, which is hit or miss, Texas Tech, which is hit or miss, 
Bob Huggins at West Virginia is, is pretty good. I'm not going to say that that team's hit or miss. Houston, hit or miss. The vast majority of the top 25 teams are traditional programs that are process-based, meaning they have their coach, they have their program, and the players are secondary, right? These are schools, the Badgers included, that aren't overly reliant on one player to be successful. Now, sure, the Badgers have been more successful when they have that one or two players, right? Better with Bronson Koenig and better with Kaminsky and Decker than without. But they can hold their own just fine with just about anybody they roll out there, as a lot of these process-based teams are. Gonzaga, right? Michigan State, all these teams that we're just mentioning. Virginia, process-based. And I think what the AP sees and what I see correctly is that a process can carry on in a pandemic, right? In a year full of chaos, in a year full of uncertainty and testing and no fans, I will bet on the coaches and the schools that have a process and a program in place. And I think the polls reflect that, right? There's not a lot of surprise names in here. The AP is going with the schools they know will show up and be consistent and have a mission, have a platform, have a process. A process can carry through in a pandemic. I bet the people who are mentally handling this pandemic the best are the people who have a process. Get up at the same time every day, get my walk in, get my run in, right? Cook food, go to work. Have, have time set aside to read. For me, I have time set aside to play guitar or do other things. And I think it builds well for the Badgers. Now, specifically to Wisconsin, I think they have the advantage of off-season momentum. Yes. Normally, I don't believe in off-season momentum. I don't think it's a thing. But in this case, for the Badgers, because they're my team, I, I'm going to believe in it. I'm going to buy into it. I choose to believe it now. The Badgers were rolling. Rolling when things shut down. They were playing their best basketball this season last year when things shut down. They had just come back. To, to capture the Big Ten regular season championship. They were the team nobody wanted to play, right? Some models even projected them to, to go on and win big at the national championship level, which I don't necessarily buy into, but you get the point. They were trending in the right direction. They were playing inspired basketball. They were healthy. They were clicking. And normally I don't believe in offseason momentum, but in this instance, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy in. I'm going to go against my gut and say that offseason momentum is a thing, especially because the Badgers have a lot of carryover. A lot of the same players are back. Right? Most of the same players are back. And it's easier to carry momentum from one season to the next when you have the same players. Right? If you're graduating everybody, well, then off-season momentum, you can throw it out the window. But I buy into off-season momentum a little bit more when you have continuity, when you have a process-based program that can sustain no matter who's on the court, no matter what the circumstances are with a pandemic. Process-driven carries off-season momentum. Carry over an upperclassman, carry over off-season momentum. The Badgers were rolling, and my hope is that they can just pick things up where they left off earlier this spring. Process-based, check for the Badgers. Carryover, check for the Badgers. Returning players, check for the Badgers. I like what I'm seeing. Now, there's only three games on the schedule. We'll have to figure out exactly what this season is going to look like. Seems like there's not going to be any fans in the stands, which is understandable, absolutely, especially given the state of things in Wisconsin. But I like the Badgers' chances. If there is one area to improve, it's Wisconsin can get back to playing Wisconsin basketball a little bit more. In recent years, they've been living and dying by the three ball a little bit. Defensively, they're requiring turnovers, which isn't something you saw historically for a long time. They could D you up straight up. Recently, they've been requiring turnovers just a little bit more. They're not great from two, which is a little bit personnel dependent, right? They haven't had in a, well, Ethan Happ, but then they lost Ethan Happ. I like Aleem Ford. I like Reavers, but they're not as dominant in the paint and inside as some of these other centers were. So for that reason, the Badgers get a little better from two. Less relying on three, better straight up defensively, and get to the free throw line a little bit more. 
if they can trend back in the direction of historical good Badger basketball, I, I think they're going to win a lot of games this season, depending on how many they play. We'll see. Although it's a lot easier to keep 12 guys healthy and three coaches than it is an entire football program, as we have seen be the case in, in Madison with football. Let's take a break. It's Slow News Wednesday. I can't wait for this. This is funny. You're going to get a kick out of this. We'll talk Badgers a little bit more before 6 o'clock as well. More of the Wisco Sports Show coming up after this. Wisco Sports Show rolling on. Happy Wednesday. This week is flying by. Good job, everyone. Well done. Just attacking the work week. My name is Grant Bills. Thank you so much for tuning in and happy Veterans Day. Thank you to all those men and women who have served and protected this nation in our military. Appreciate you and happy Veterans Day. 608-796-2558 is the talk and text line. The phone ain't working today, but if you want to send me a text and say, hey, disagree with me, agree with me, or just say whatever, you can hit me up on that number. And uh, Twitter as well, at Wisco Grant. You can find me there. It is Slow News Wednesday. This is one of my favorite segments of the week. Um, I I love reading, and reading about sports is fascinating, especially with all the different outlets in 2020 because, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, you had a couple of print outlets, and and that was really it, and now you have multimedia outlets. You have blogs. you You just got people doing their own thing, and there's so much to read. There's so many different ways in which information is written and shared. And I, I, one of my favorite places to read is The Ringer. Uh, and I found an interesting article that I wanted to share for today's segment. Slow News Wednesday, if you've never listened before, it's kind of a chance to talk about something that's really excellent or funny or stupid or whatever. Something that we've come across this week. Now, last week, we laughed at Dan Patrick because that, that was an all-timer. There was a Mount Rushmore of Slow News Wednesdays on the Wisco Sports Show. That would be George Washington. Dan Patrick being told by a source that a a field hospital was going to be opened at Camp Randall. Look, the way things are trending in this state, I'm not discounting the idea of an extra hospital in Madison. Heck, hospitals here in La Crosse are getting full, and in the Eau Claire area, they're already full. Not discounting the importance or downplaying the possibility of a field hospital, but one at Camp Randall is just stupid. Like, does Dan Patrick know it's outside? It's, It's winter. It's very cold. So we were laughing at that last week. Great source, Dan uh, maybe double check with him next time. That was also the same source that said Graham Mertz tested positive before the Illinois game, uh, which is absurd, and that's been disbunked as well, or debunked, disproved, uh, debunked. Now, this week is a little different. I was zipping through Twitter this morning, and I, I saw a headline, and I-, and I thought it was a parody at first. It's a Ringer article uh, by one of my favorite authors. Her name is Nora Princiati. She's a really good podcaster, too. And this headline caught me off guard because I, 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 I read it and I thought it was a parody. This is the headline, the teaser. Pity the poor punter during the NFL's offensive boom. And here's the lead. NFL teams are scoring at a historic rate, leaving punters spending more time on the sideline wondering when or if they'll be called into action. And I read that and I'm like, there's no way somebody, oh, Nora Princiati wrote this. Okay, this is legit. And then I thought about it and I'm like, wait a minute, is... Is J.K. Scott having a good season? I have zero idea. I have, a, I have a negative idea of the season that J.K. Scott is having. I have no clue. I haven't thought about it. He really hasn't had to been used much. This piece, Nora Princiati in her setup, compares the obsolescence of whaling, of whale hunting for oil, to punting in 2020. 
chef's kiss. That's beautiful. The idea that a long time ago, we used to kill whales to power our lamps, and then we realized we could just drill for oil so we didn't have to kill whales, and now, and whaling went away, right? People thought at the time, whaling was never going to go away. It's how we power things. It's how we do our business, right? And the obsolescence of whaling in the past, she's comparing to punting in 2020, which is clever, hilarious, and, and just wacky enough to be our topic of, of, of conversation here on Slow News Wednesday today. A couple of details you need to know, and this is the crux of the piece, and I would recommend you read it. I think it's really interesting. The NFL on track uh, is on track, excuse me, for the fewest punts since they went to a 16-game season in 1978 through nine weeks, of course. Now, this could change, but I don't see why it would. There's a lot of things that could change in 2020. I don't know if the amount of punts is going to take a, a crazy U-turn after week nine. Once the weather gets cold, that's when the punters really come to play. I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. The NFL is on track for the fewest punts in history since they went to a 16-game season in 1978. That's really the last time we have a measuring stick for such a thing because when the season wasn't 16 games, we can't really measure punts. We've had 929 punts so far through nine weeks, 32 teams. That's an 18% decrease from 2019, which through nine games, there were 1,134 punts last year in last season. There hasn't been a season, this is all something I learned today while reading, there hasn't been a season with fewer than 2,000 punts since 1991. Fewer than 2,000. And currently in 2020, the NFL is on pace for 1,788. That'd be, that'd be quite a mix-up. Be quite an outlier year, or if you believe that this is here to stay, quite a sharp you know, change in trends. Maybe aggressive coaching, maybe analytics, probably a combination of both. For the Packers, J.K. Scott in 2019 through nine games had 43 punts. In 2020, can you guess how many he has so far? 22. It's 22 punts. That's that's slightly less than 50%. Just a fraction less than 50% of what he had. He cut it in half. Cut his numbers of punts in half. Think about that. Uh, Bill's punter, Corey Bahorquez... Bahorquez is very difficult to pronounce. Of course, it was the one punter whose name. Every punter is like John Smith, John Ryan, Tim Maste. Just the simplest names ever. And the one that's quoted in this article, of course, has the name that's difficult to pronounce. Corey Bahorquez had some amazing quotes in this article, and they made me laugh. I wanted to share them with you. On his lack of punts, this is what he had to say. It's kind of weird. It gets to third down, and you're thinking, okay, I might be going out. Just from my mental standpoint, I always assume that we're going to punt because then I'm not thinking, oh, crap, now I got to go punt. Now I'm locked in and ready to go. So it was a little weird, you know, because not even punting once in a game is a really rare thing. So to have no punts, it's been different for sure. (laughs) When he was asked, Corey Bajorquez, about what he does during the game, this is what he said. Well, sometimes I'll just kind of walk around, watch the game, cheer them on a little bit. You know, best seats in the house right on the sideline. (laughs) Like, what? This is insane. The Bills punter straight up saying, well, during the game, what do I do? Um, Well, you know, just vibe. Hang out on the sideline, watch the game. Eat a snack. Cheer cheer the team on a little bit. You know, clap. (laughs) It's so funny. This is a geeked article, and if you haven't read it, it's on The Ringer. It just came out earlier today. Nora Princiati does a great job. Funny enough, I reached out to Nora, tried to reach out a couple of weeks ago. Didn't get back to me. Ouch. What would you, I bet you would come on the show now. 
now that she knows that I'm dedicating an entire 10-minute segment to talking about her piece because it's fascinating, nobody's talking about the lack in punting this year. Only this show. We're on the cutting edge. There's a lot of reasons why punting is down. I mean, we're seeing an offensive boom this year that I don't know that we expected. I think with the lack of preparation and compressed training camp, really no training camp and, and not a lot of practice, I thought I thought the defenses would be ahead. That's conventional wisdom. That's what we all thought, right? But that hasn't turned out to be the case. Now, I think just a lot of these defenses are really bad. In the case of the Niners, they're injured. The Packers, they just took a step back. Mike Pettin, I think, lost a couple IQ points over the offseason, something like that. But league-wide, there are some trends to back up why there's a lack of punting. Third down conversions are up. They're going for Teams are just going for it more. League-wide, the conversion rate on third down is 43%. The record is 41. The record was set in 1972. We're two percentage points better than that in 2020. It doesn't really, it doesn't really seem, it's felt like a normal year, right? Well, it's actually a record-setting year for third down conversion rate. Drive killers are all down this year. Sack numbers are down because defenses aren't any good. Penalties are down, right? They're not calling holding penalties. And drop passes, statistics that have all gone down. So if we take all of that, if we absorb all of that information that I just got you with, very few punts on, on pace to be, you know, the fewest punts since the, the NFL went to a 16-game schedule in 1978. Punting is down. Third down conversion is up. Penalties are down. Drop passes are down. Sacks are down. What does that mean for the Packers? Okay, well, you want to hear my best take of the day? Here it is. My best take of the day. Pay attention. Turn up the volume. Knowing all of that, my take is, y'all want to hate on Brian Gutekind's trade deadline? You want to hate on his draft in 2020? Y'all want to be mad about Brian Gutekind's? That's cute. You want to hear the best take of the day? How about we hate on Brian Gutekind's for spending a fifth-round pick on a punter? Huh? That's the, the tired take is Goody's trade deadline, Goody's 2020 draft taking Jordan Love. The wired take is why did Brian Gutekinst, in a league that's trending offense, 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 spend a fifth-round pick on a player whose position is being marginalized? You want to hate on Brian Gutekinst? There's the ammo. That's the, that's the, you pull that out at a bar and people go like, whoa. I didn't look at it that way. That's a hell of a take, brother. Let me buy you a beer. That's, that's the result you're going to get. That's what you're going to get. Hate on Brian Gutekinst for taking a punter in the fifth round. Hey, Brian, you got to spot the league trends, buddy. You got to be better. You got to look at the data. You have an analytics department, 1265. What do you got going on? Call Craig Council. He'll help you out. You got to spot league trends, the way the league is headed. Offense, third down efficiency, fourth down aggressiveness, pass rushes that stink, ball that comes out more quickly, fewer penalties because they're not calling holding, wide receivers that don't drop the ball because they're the best athletes on the field. Brian Gudikins, brother, you got you to notice this stuff. You got to be on the cutting edge because if Brian Gutekinds knows now what he knew then, do you think he still would have taken J.K. Scott in the fifth round? Probably, but it's a funny take to talk about, and it's something funny to whine about. And if you go to your favorite neighborhood tavern, which right now I wouldn't recommend, I'd find other ways to to support your favorite local establishments because they are hurting right now. But if you're sitting at your uh, your bar in your basement, or maybe you're lucky enough to live out in the middle of nowhere with no COVID, sit at the corner bar and say, "Hey, you complaining about?" Goody's draft down there. Let me buy you a beer and tell you what you should really be mad about. Took a punter in the fifth round. Nobody's punting this year. You spent a fifth round pick on a player, J.K. Scott, who's punted 22 times through nine games. Get out of here. That's that's the take you should be hammering about Brian Gudikins. Let's take a break. Slow News Wednesday. Always fun. Nora Princiati in the ringer. You should read that piece if you haven't because it's, it's funny. It's funny. It's a nice reprieve from election coverage. 
taking a nice break from analytics, people getting mad about second and long running plays and goal line fades because that never gets obnoxious. And Dan Patrick talking about field hospitals outside. Oh, good one. Slow News Wednesday, always fun. Nora Princiati at the ringer. Check it out if you haven't. Let's take a break. We'll wrap up the show. You can get your final thoughts in at 608-796-2558. Shoot me a text, a tweet at Wisco Grant. We'll talk Badgers, college football coming up next to wrap up the Wisco Sports Show.